Hi, Crimes Against Nature fans. This is your host, Julie Bryant. And today, we're going to tell you the story of a thoroughbred stallion who was part of one of the greatest sports rivalries of all time. In 1978, thoroughbred racing and sports fans of all kinds were captured by the battle between two incredible stallions, affirmed, ridden by the great Steve Cawthon, and Aladar, jockeyed by the equally talented Jorge Velasquez as they battled for the coveted Triple Crown. Then, 12 years later, Aladar captured headlines again when fans were shocked with the news of Aladar's untimely death. Many thought it was just an unfortunate accident, but they'd soon learn there might be 120 million reasons it wasn't. On the night of November 13, 1990, Calumet Farms was at rest. The fabled farm with its white fences and gleaming iron-red gates was on a roll in thoroughbred sports. In the high-stakes world of thoroughbred racing, Calumet looked like it was returning to the glory of its yesteryear under the guidance of President and General Manager J.T. Lundy. They had a barn full of the best stallions, including 1978 Triple Crown winner Affirmed, Secreto, valued at $75 million, and Criminal Type, who that year would win Eclipse Awards for the champion older male horse and, most valuable, Horse of the Year, while the farm itself would take the stunning bronze trophy for Outstanding Breeder. At the far end of the barn, in the stall once occupied by Calumet's 1958 Derby winner, Tim Tam, was Aladar, who as a stallion was overshadowing his one-time rival affirmed and was bringing millions into the coffers of Calumet Farms. Calumet groom Alton Stone was on duty that night, making his rounds of the 15 barns on the property, which included the stallion barn. With no cameras in the barn and no security guards specifically assigned to the stallion barn, Stone would drop by about every two hours to check on the condition of the horses. Stone drove a truck on those rounds, driving down Sycamore Line roads, looking through the white fences that surrounded the more than 760-acre farm. According to accounts in the book Wild Ride and others, Stone had stopped by the farm cantina to have a cup of coffee with another security guard, hired through a private company, when he felt the sudden urge to go back to the stallion barn. It was approximately 9.30 p.m. Climbing from the truck, Stone slid open the double doors to the barn and stepped in. It was quiet as he walked in and began moving down the shed row, looking into each stall as he passed. Then he heard it, a faint nickering and a groan coming from the far corner, Aladar's stall. He quickly stepped to the stall and looked in, and there stood Aladar, head lowered, eyes white with fear, breathing heavily and trembling. Given to colic, Stone thought Aladar was probably suffering from what is basically a horse's stomach ache, but that could be deadly. So he summoned the stallion manager, Sandy Hatfield, by radio, then the farm vet, Dr. Linda Rhodes, before turning back to the stall. Stepping inside, he was careful around Aladar, who could be a bit of a handful. Snapping a leather shank to the halter, Stone looked down and saw blood sprinkled on the deep straw in the stall. 
and looking for the source, saw something that stopped him cold. Aladar was holding his right rear leg off the ground, the last eight inches dangling with bones poking through the skin. I'm pausing just a moment to mention that this is a self-supported podcast. And after listening, if you could leave a five-star review, that would help us in making sure that we can continue to provide this podcast for free. Thank you. And now back to our story. To understand Aladar's value, it's necessary to go back nearly 40 years to 1978. The battle between Aladar and Affirm would result in the last Triple Crown winner that racing fans would see for more than 30 years. So long, in fact, that some race fans had come to the belief that modern-day horses were just not capable of the feat, until American Pharaoh, who took the series in 2015. The millennials who took over the infields of Churchill Downs and Pimlico that year had likely never heard of Aladar, nor of his untimely death. But true race fans would always remember because 1978 was one of the most thrilling years in thoroughbred racing. Aladar was trained by John Veach, who was hired by Calumet Farms just two years earlier in 1976. At the time, Calumet was still under the firm control of Mrs. Lucille Wright Markey, the widow of the founder of Calumet Farm, Warren Wright. Mrs. Markey, who had married screenwriter Jean Markey, had named Aladar after Prince Ali Khan, whom she called Allie Darling. Incidentally, a future episode of Crimes Against Nature will outline the theft of the thoroughbred Shergar, owned by the son of Prince Ali Khan, the Aga Khan IV. By the time Aladar and Affirm began that legendary year, Mrs. Markey was 82 years old and in failing health. Under her guidance, Calumet Farm had continued to thrive, winning the Kentucky Derby four times, gaining two Eclipse Awards, and won Triple Tierra, the race series for fillies, with Devonna Dale in 1979. But Aladar would be her last great stallion, and he did not disappoint. With John Veach as his trainer and Jorge Velasquez in the iron, Aladar would win nearly $1 million in 1977 and 78 and provide race fans with a thrill few that saw it would forget. Affirmed that Aladar had common blood, which some could say was reason for their superior match in racing skills. Aladar was by Reza Native, who was a fair runner but was an outstanding sire, and Affirm's grandsire. Prior to meeting Aladar in the 1978 Kentucky Derby, Aladar had bested Affirmed only twice. First in the Great American Stakes in July 1977, where he won by three and a half lengths and second at the Champagne Stakes in October of that year, where a firm closed the distance, leaving Aladar to win at one and a quarter lengths. So, with the 1978 Kentucky Derby, the Triple Crown essentially became a match race. Affirmed won the race by one and a quarter lengths, but in the subsequent Preakness and Belmont Stakes, Aladar would not let his rival have it so easily. He closed on Affirmed in both races to lose by just a neck in the Preakness, and ahead in the Belmont. Aladar would have the final say at the August Traverse Stakes, which he officially won, although Affirmed finished first, but was disqualified to second, having interfered with Aladar in the backstretch. Aladar retired to Calumet Farm to stand at stud, and with Mrs. Markey still in firm control, his stud fee stood at $40,000. However, after her death in 1982, 
The new president of Calumet Farm, J.T. Lundy, who had married her granddaughter Cindy, doubled his fee to $80,000, and over the course of his breeding career, it ranged from anywhere between $125,000 to $350,000, an astounding amount for that time, and even in thoroughbred racing today. As a stud, Aladar's looks and nature captured the imaginations of thoroughbred breeders around the world, and when his foals went to the sales, their gleaming coats and precocious nature made the bids go wild. Dr. Larry Bramlage, arguably one of the world's leading equine orthopedic surgeons and the veterinarian who operated on Aladar, remembers. He, he was a popular sire mostly because his foals were really precocious. Um, you know, they were big and strong early on, like he was. They're early maturers, um, and so, uh, uh, you know, his success in a, as a stallion was only average, really, but his success immediately uh, in the sales ring and, and you know, before you really know whether a stallion can produce runners or not, um, it was outstanding. Alidar was like a weightlifter, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, not so much when they were racing um he was he was big then and certainly a bigger stronger horse than than uh, affirmed looked but um as a stallion they they got even more um separate in their um appearance he he was a huge big strong horse Aladar's looks strength and even that temperament was something he passed on to his foals and something Dr. Bramlage witnessed firsthand whenever he attended the sales. He could see the reaction of potential buyers as the yearlings went through the ring. His offspring were really impressive looking, um, right from the square one. So uh, that I think that's what made him so popular uh, early in his career. Dr. Bramlage also recalled that Aladar was a bit of a bad actor and completely spoiled rotten. Maybe it was due to his reputation as a stallion or just the way he was, but Aladar basically got away with everything, including kicking his stall. He, he was a spoiled brat. He wanted to be the first out of the barn to go to the paddock, the first out of the barn to go to the breeding shed. If he didn't get first attention, he would start wailing away at his stall door with his hind legs. Um, and the inside of his stall door, it had a thousand footprints um, on the, the door. I mean, and not just um, um, dirt prints. I mean, there were dents in the wood from what he would do whenever he got upset. By the time of Aladar's death in 1990, he was covering an incredible number of mares in both the northern and southern hemisphere. According to a November 1990 article in the New York Times, Aladar sired 582 foals, 439 of whom had reached racing age and had won a total of more than $34 million. Aladar sired such stars as Ali Sheba, who won the Derby and the Preakness in 1987, Easy Goer, the 1989 Belmont winner, and Criminal Type, who stood in a stall not far from Aladar that night and who would become the 1990 Horse of the Year. Even though Crimes Against Nature doesn't currently have any sponsors, I do want to tell you about Horses on a Mission, developed by my friend Maureen Gallatin. At Horses on a Mission, they believe that God is reaching out to people through a connection with horses to tell them they matter, and He's inviting you to be a part of that larger story. 
If you'd be interested in learning more about Horses on a Mission, go to horsesonamission.com and learn more about how God is doing amazing things through horses and the people who love them. Now back to our story. It was a little after 10 p.m. when Dr. Bramlage received a phone call from the farm's veterinarian, Linda Rhodes, now Dr. Linda Stewart. Bramlage lived just three miles from Calumet and had been there often, so getting a call from Stewart was not unusual, but when she said Aladar had broken his leg, the news hit him in the gut. I mean, it was, uh, it was sort of uh, awe-generating, uh, awe, um, you know, here's the Here's the most um, pro- one of the most prominent sires at the time, popular. And um, as I was driving over, I was thinking, well, I wonder what this is going to turn into. Once he arrived on the farm, Bramblinch walked into the stallion barn and stepped into a crowded stall. He does not recall if he saw Alton Stone, the groom who first discovered the horse, but he does remember that there were grooms there, along with stallion manager Sandy Hatfield, Dr. Stewart, and notably J.T. Lundy. Other accounts say that Dr. Bill Baker was also there. Dr. Bramlich also remembered that he was not pleased that the horse, although tranquilized and standing quietly, was not already splinted. He, he wasn't like running around the stall or anything. He was just standing there, um, and, but he was kind of moving his leg, sort of typical of what a horse does when they have a fracture. They think they're going to flex the leg, and they lift it up, and the and the thing swinging sideways, and it kind of confuses them, and and so he was a little bit perplexed. So I said to him, "Get a twitch on him," and they said to me, "He doesn't like a twitch." And I said, which was typical of you know he didn't they didn't do anything with him that um, he didn't want him to do, and I said, "I don't give a he's got a broken leg. Get a twitch on him." And, and, and that is how you start to control horses that have a fracture that are um, a little bit fractious or concerned about the fracture. It's amazing how well a twitch works. Along with the other two veterinarians, Dr. Bramlage looked around for wood that he could use to splint the horse's leg, something like a pallet board. Finding that and using an elastic bandage, they wrapped the horse's leg with two splints on either side. Now, with the leg immobilized and Aladar unable to swing it, he was able to take a look at a couple of x-rays that Dr. Stewart had taken. As one might expect, it didn't look good. It was a low-energy spiraling fracture, so it wasn't shattered, which was good. But still, it was worthy of an insurance claim because it was a very serious injury. All the while, J.T. Lundy looked on, listening to the veterinarians as they conferred. He was clearly distraught. Aladar was a huge attraction to Calumet, and unbeknownst to everyone standing there, he had sold more seasons to Aladar than he really had available, and Calumet was in trouble. After speaking with his colleagues, Bramlage turned to Lundy. I mean, I looked at JT and said, uh, you know, this is without a doubt a valid claim, insurance claim, if that's what you want. Um, and and his response was, but this is Alidar. Uh, and I said, you know, but this is a terrible injury for a stallion in a hind leg, uh, and it's open. It had a hole through the skin where uh, one of the 
pieces of bone had poked out. Um, and I said, there isn't going to be much chance that we can save him. And his response was, but this is Alidar, we have to try. Another person who got the call that night was insurance adjuster Tom Dixon. In his 2014 first-person account in Blood Horse, he got the call around 10.15 p.m. and headed to the farm immediately. When he arrived, he took note of the many people there and also noticed a piece of red metal on the ground and was told that that was where Aladar had kicked the stall. He would take meticulous notes throughout the process to save Aladar, notes and pictures that were chronicled in that 2014 article. He would also be the one that would okay the euthanasia of Aladar if he couldn't be saved. At that point, the horse was given painkillers, tranquilized, and was laid down with his head in Dr. Stewart's lap. He would stay there all night long and taken off the painkillers at 4.30 in the morning so the team could get together at 7 to try to save him. We uh, planned and did put a short plate in through the open wound when we debrided it and then put him in the pin cast um, as the primary treatment. And, you know, that's when you got to start looking at the injury and understanding how the injury happened so you know what approach you're going to use for the fixation. And when his injury was uh, a mid-cannon bone spiraling fracture with not very many pieces, it was a low-energy fracture, um, uh, uh, sort of a horse with a bone that big, if you're going to break it, you can, and you're going to do it with a high energy fracture, something that happens really quick and hard, um, it's going to splinter into a million pieces. If you lever it somehow and it breaks, you're going to get a, a fracture with one basic with fracture plane and and some little pieces, and that's what he had. He had a low-energy fracture. Dr. Bramlage said it was agreed that the surgery should take place at Calumet Farm that had an adequate hospital, and he was able to bring the other tools that they needed. But having the surgery there at the farm meant that Aladar could wake up in a familiar environment and would have less stress coming out of the anesthesia. All in all, the surgery went well, and they were pleased. Put him in the... um anesthetizing, hoist him up, put him on the table. Mm -hmm. um, we did the surgery, put the plate in, um, put the pins in his uh, cannon bone, cast over it. Um, had to be a long cast, you know. I mean, it, it, it's not very um, appealing to have to put a full leg cast on a on a 1,500-pound stallion because you never know how they're going to deal with it. But we... Uh, put him in the recovery stall. He was laying on one of those big soft mats like we normally use. And we just stayed with him. And um, thankfully, he kind of laid quietly and rested until he had blown off all of the anesthetic. And he got up pretty readily. The accounts of Tom Dixon, the insurance adjuster, and Dr. Bramlage differ slightly here. Tom Dixon, in his story, said that at 1.25 p.m., Aladar stood for the first time, fighting his cast all the way. He said the stallion was having difficulty trying to figure out where to place his legs, and he lost his balance twice. 
Dixon said Aladar simply did not like the sling, but he was able to adjust in about an hour and was moved to a recovery stall, where there was wood chip bedding for better footing. Dixon came back later that evening and found that the horse was bright and alert and bearing weight on the injured leg. He was doing quite well, and everyone felt cautiously optimistic. Dr. Bramlinch and Dixon returned at about 8.30 the next morning. It was decided it was time to remove the sling. In order for Aladar to stay in the sling, he had to be tranquilized, and having too much tranquilizer, a drug called rompin, could cause the horse, who was already prone to colic, to build up gases. So they removed the sling and stepped back to see what would happen. We all decided we didn't have any choice. We had to take the sling off of him. So we took it off of him the second morning. And um, everything, he just seemed to, to be doing well. He started moving around the stall. He was handling the cast well. Um, he was happy. Uh, seemed to be content with everything. And I stayed maybe an hour. Leaving Tom Dixon and the rest of the veterinary team behind, who continued to watch the horse, Dr. Bramlage climbed back in his car and began to drive up the road to the gate. But at the gate, he was stopped. They were asking him to come back. I get in my car, and I remember driving out, and the horses were coming out of the training barn, heading to the track um, with their riders up. And um, apparently, um, one of them made a noise. This is, I wasn't installed then, but something happened um, with those horses going by that Alidar, it got his attention. Um, and, you know, when you're, when he's walking around on that um, full limb, hind limb cast, he has to crutch around on it like, you know, like you would on a full limb cast. Um, and, and so you got to kind of swing your leg uh, and, we had him in a, a, it was a pretty big stall where they have where you can come out of surgery uh, from recovery into the, the sort of holding stall area there that had the hoist across it. Um, but he was out of the hoist and everything, and he was in the cast, and it seemed like he was doing well. But before I even got to the front gate, they had called the gate and told me to come back, and he had tried to run across the stall um when stimulated by those horses and he had fallen with his leg under him, um, which bends the, the horse's leg the wrong way and uh, fractured his femur. Those who had stayed at the barn, including Tom Dixon and J.T. Lundy, heard the bone crack and they knew before they called Dr. Bramlage that it was probably the end of Aladar. There was just nothing more that could be done. It was... Uh, a, a huge anxious day, um, you know, maybe an extreme high the next day when it looked like things were going well. Um, and it looked like every decision we were making um, was the right one um, because as the problems cropped up, the colic and him wanting to fight the sling and, you know, we were, we were handling all those problems and then all of a sudden it was like um, Death Valley, and it was just sort of empty, empty feeling. According to Tom Dixon's account, at 8.20 a.m., and after checking with everyone concerned, he just simply said, let's do it. 
as the resident vet, Dr. Stewart, then Dr. Rhodes, provided an overdose of medication and the horse passed away peacefully. J.T. Lindy stood there and watched as Aladar slipped away. We can't read his mind or know what he was thinking. But we wonder, was he thinking about Aladar's days as a great racehorse? Or was he thinking about Aladar as the cash machine for Calumet? Did the thought even cross his mind that $32 million in cash would be paid to him once Aladar's insurance claim was processed? You know, he'd been around during everything that was happening. Um, and um, I think he was somewhat the same as we were feeling, and you know, like, you know, that looked like that we might have a glimmer of hope, and then um, the legs just get kicked out from under you. Um, and he was, uh, uh, he, he, he looked whipped, you know, but like um, everything just fell apart. Uh, there, there wasn't much said. Returning to his office after Aladar died, an office filled with the priceless trophies and artwork that Lundy had collected after Mrs. Markey's death, Lundy's mind had to be a scramble of the problems Aladar's death created. No one knew at the time, but would find out in the coming months that Calumet was in dire financial straits, and soon this tale would stretch from the bluegrass of Kentucky to the glass towers of Houston, Texas, as some began to suspect that Aladar's death might not have been an accident after all. Next time on Crimes Against Nature. He dug a deep hole, <laughs> a really deep hole. Uh, you sometimes do drastic things, and uh, I would not put it past the fact that the horse did not get his leg in between that stall door and the wall by himself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crimes Against Nature. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to learn more, please visit our website at crimesagainstnaturepodcast.com where you can see all of our source material, including on how to get the book Wild Ride by Anne Hagedorn Auerbach. Crimes Against Nature is produced and edited by me, Julie Bryant, your host. As always, I appreciate your five-star review so that we can continue to provide this podcast for free. Please subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you might be listening. Sound design is by Motion Ray, and all rights reserved by Ladigo Media, LLC. Thanks again for listening.